Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we start today. Here's the key concept this morning. In Christ you are set apart for God. Throughout all this, this series, we're going to move through the chapters of Ephesians because as Paul writes the book of Ephesians, he uses many labels and titles to refer to the people of God in such a way that it's almost like a chain that he constructs chapter to chapter, a chain that outlines our identity references. And when you put it all together, he gives us a picture of who we are in Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's important to get a sense of our identity because self-understanding is a big issue in Paul's letters. And maybe it's because of the nature of his ministry. When Paul is writing Ephesians or the other letters of the New Testament, he is teaching and encouraging new Christians, many of whom have come out of a pagan background, and that's especially true in the city of Ephesus, which was a center for pagan worship. In fact, it was a, a tourist attraction center for the worship of the goddess Artemis, one of many pagan gods and goddesses in the pantheon of, of gods that they worshipped. And, and the sense of understanding who I now am in Jesus Christ was essential so that they would not drift back into the old ways, into the old ways of living and the old ways of understanding. So identity in Jesus is a recurring theme in Paul's letters. And it's important for us because when we get a sense of our identity in Jesus, it's like dropping an anchor and giving us stability. I understand now what has happened to me, all that I have in Jesus Christ. And for the Ephesians, that was, I think, especially vital because this city was the site of violence, a site of a riot against the gospel message. The citizens of Ephesus thought that the claims of Jesus Christ was turning their culture upside down, as indeed it was. And they saw that they rebelled against it, and now there's pressure on these new Christians. They're looked down on for the changes that's come into their life because of faith. And I think that, that the, the, these new Christians might be tempted to ask the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it to follow Jesus? Is it worth the pressure? Is it worth the, the commotion? Is it worth all of the changes that I have to go through? Is it really, is it, is it wise? Is it just something I got caught up in in an emotional way? Or is there really tangibly a difference about me now? And Paul answers the question, it is wonderfully worth it to follow Jesus Christ. And you are new in Christ. And now he begins to put some labels on our newness. And that's what we're going to follow through the book of Ephesians. But let's start this morning in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. You follow along as I read. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, I emphasize the phrase in Christ and in, uh, the, in, G, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, because that phrase, in Christ, shows up again and again in Paul's writings. And here, 
he uses it as a modifier or to explain what he means by the title he puts on the believers. And that title is a saint. In other words, a saint is one who is in Christ. So what does it mean when Paul says, you are, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are in Christ? Physically, they're in the city of Ephesus as they receive the letter. Physically, Paul is in Rome, in prison, as he writes the letter. But he says, not only are you there, but you are in Christ. Now, that's a shorthand expression. He's using that to mean something that can be stretched out, just like we use the phrase, in love, as a shorthand expression. What we're saying there is, I am in a love relationship with this person. We shorten that to say, I'm in love. Well, in the same way, if we stretch in Christ out, he's saying, I am in, you are in, a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. And he collapses that with the phrase, you are in Christ. So it tells us that as he uses that phrase to describe saint, that a saint is one who is in a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. By faith, I have a relationship with the Lord. And this shows up a lot in Paul's letters. In Romans 8.1, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of this spiritual relationship, I am assured I will not be condemned. A saint is one who has a spiritual relationship with Jesus. And if you're a believer, that's you. But I wonder if you've ever used the expression, well, I'm no saint, but... Now, if you start a sentence like that, what you're usually getting ready to do is describe somebody else's bad behavior, right? But you don't want to feel appear prideful. You don't want to appear superior. And so you want to kind of take it down a notch. Well, I'm no saint, but... There's a couple of things wrong with that. One is you're getting ready to gossip. The second thing is, if you're a believer, it's wrong. You are a saint. You are a saint before the Lord Jesus Christ. But we hesitate to call, us, call ourselves that because we have misdefined it. We think somehow it's an elevated kind of status. Well, it really is the label that Paul puts on all believers. You belong to Christ and you are now His. In fact, it's one of Paul's favorite words. He uses it over 60 times as he writes the letters that he writes. And the word in Greek, and the root word means to consecrate or to set apart. And it's used of both people and things to set, set them apart, apart for a purpose that is different than the run of the mill, different than the ordinary kind of a holy purpose. So we could define ourselves, believers, as saints, meaning one who is saved by God's grace and set apart for active holy purposes. That's us. And all the saints, all of us, are in the process that we call sanctification, which is growing in our sainthood, progressing in our sainthood. And so there is a process involved in this. And the first step of that process is placing your faith and trust in the work that Jesus did on the cross. In that sense, becoming a saint is an event. 
We cross the line from unbelief to belief. We cross that line from, from death to life when we say yes to Jesus Christ. And you heard some of the stories of crossing that line today in the baptisms. And it happens differently in, people, in different people's lives. For some of us, we heard the gospel message over and over and over again. And we, we pushed away from it. We kind of resisted it. We didn't want to come to grips with the fact that we really are sinners in need of salvation, that, that we stand condemned before God if we stand without Jesus Christ. And we pushed away that message, but eventually it got through, and the Holy Spirit uh, brought us to the point where we were saying, I need the forgiveness that Jesus offers. For others of us, the first time we heard about the fact that, you know, we can have salvation in Jesus Christ and no purpose in this life and promise for eternal life, we said yes to that, seeing the, the riches for what it was. It happens all the kinds of different ways. Some of us grew up hearing the message of Jesus Christ, and we really can't remember a time when we didn't believe. I, from time to time, I, I, I talk to people and they say, you know, I can't remember a moment when I didn't believe in Jesus as my Savior, but I know I now do believe in Jesus as my Savior. That's fine. Some of this, for some of us, that's our story. For others of us, we understand that moment of conversion. We remember that scene, that day, when it all came together, and like an impact memory, it just has stuck with us. That was the moment when I said yes to Jesus Christ. See, our stories are different, but the facts are the same. When you cross from death to life, that is an event, you cross into a state of being a, a, a saint. But then the next step in your saintness, if you will, I'm making words up here, is, is a process. It's that process of growing in the separation that the word saint implies. My, my priorities are different. My habits are now different. It's the process of keep challenge, challenging ourselves to, to grow and to mature in Christ. First Peter chapter 1, Peter puts it this way, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And that's what we're called to do as we grow up as the saints in Jesus Christ. So that simple phrase, you are saint, it's basic meaning. It doesn't mean you have an elevated status above other believers. It doesn't mean that, that there's ranking or anything like that. It simply means you have crossed from death to life. In the world, there are two types of people. There are those who are saints in Christ and those who are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, you can put it this way. There are the saints and there are the ain'ts. Which category are you in? That's really the life question that we, 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 must, we must ask and answer. But remember I said that the saints are called to a noble or holy purpose. This thing and this person who they apply the title that, of that Greek word to, there was something they were meant to do. Not run-of-the-mill, something unique, something special, something pertaining to God. And so what are the noble purposes that we, the people of God, are called to? And today I'm just going to generalize, kind of, kind of just give you a, a big picture uh, answer to that and say that there really are two noble purposes that make up 
the job description of the saints. And the first one of those purposes is worship. We are called to be people of worship, to worship God. Now, that happens here corporately as we worship all together, but it needs to happen privately as you worship the Lord in your time of study the Word and, and prayer and bring your, your needs before the Lord and praise Him in your prayers. It has to be a part of your life. In other words, the very life that we live as believers needs to demonstrate that we care about the things of God and we're, we've been changed because of Jesus. We live a life of worship. And it's a wonderful experience to worship. I wonder if you've ever been at a concert where the music was so good, so thrilling, so engrossing, so joyful that you felt moved and you just knew that the moment the last note sounded at that concert, you're going to jump to your feet in a standing ovation. It just absolutely drove you to do that because of your appreciation. You maybe have experienced that at a concert. And maybe you've experienced the opposite. I've been to concerts where it seemed to me that the audience was overly generous with their standing ovation. Performance was bad and too long because it's always too long when it's bad. But everybody felt sorry for the performer, I, I guess. And so the minute it was over, standing ovation. I'm looking, really? Are you kidding? But when it's right, when nothing else will do, when you realize the greatness of what you have just experienced and this, this glorious jump to your feet in wild applause, it's, 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 you recognize that this is what I must do in response to what I've experienced. Now that feeling is close to worship. It is right to worship God. To do less would be wrong. We just sense it. That glad shout of praise to the Creator and the Redeemer. When you, and when you give God worship, what happens is you grow. You feel like you, have, you are expanding yourself. You're enlarged. You gain a blessing. Because when you worship, you experience the principle, the operational principle of life. God's operational principle of life is this. You become like what you worship. If you worship cheap, meaningless, lowly things, you become like what you worship. You take on the character of what you worship, and when you worship God, you grow in the image of God. When you worship God, you become more like He has created you to be. When you worship God, you become more of the true self that He's always had in mind for you. So part of your noble purpose as a saint is to worship God. And when you worship God, you grow in your love for Him. And when you grow in your love for Him, it brings you to the second part of the noble purpose for which we live as saints, and that is to serve Him in ways that bring Him glory. When you grow in love, you grow in your willingness to say yes to the opportunities to serve the Lord. Jesus said this in John 15, uh, 14, verse 15. He said, if you love me, you obey what I command. It, mean, it means more than just you'll keep the rules. It means you'll see the opportunities to live in such a way to bring me, to bring me glory. 
We don't obey the Lord out of duty. We obey the Lord out of love. For the, so the saint is one who worships and falls deeper and deeper in love with God. And as a result of that, sees the opportunities not only to change our behavior, but to affect our world for God's glory. And that's what we're called to be. You, a follower of Jesus Christ, are not the same as you used to be. You, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are not the same as the people around because you, you have been fundamentally changed now in Christ. So how, do you, how, how are we saints according to the Bible? Number one, you have to be in Christ. And that's Paul's way of saying there's a vital living union relationship with Jesus Christ. And being in Christ is an experience that you can kind of map out over your life of uh, an experience in four stages. Stage number one is regeneration, when we are changed from the inside out by the presence of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. Conversion, saying yes to Jesus Christ. Stage two happens simultaneously with that, and that is, from God's perspective, we are justified in that moment. Regeneration, stage one. Justification, sta stage two. Exactly in the same moment, we're changed in our perspective, God sees us new. Justification means that when you say yes to the forgiveness that Jesus offers, God sees you as innocent. Not just forgiven, we are forgiven. Not just pardoned, we are pardoned. But even more than that, He sees you through the filter of the blood of Christ. He sees you as pure. He sees you as innocent. Stage three, then, is the rest of the journey in this life sanctification, as we grow in our ability to live for the Lord and our ability to fight the power of sin and temptation. Stage four is glorification in the life to come when we are away from the very presence of sin with the Lord in glory. Now, I outlined those four stages because I want you to see how important stage three is. It's all that we do in this life sanctification. In fact, for our mission statement here at Quail, we call it build. Our mission statement is to we exist to win and build passionate lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. Build is being built up in the Lord in our understanding and our commitment to Him. And that's the journey that we're all on, and we do that by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that in a spirit of humility. Be in Christ, be humble. Why? Because pride is the enemy. Pride is from the enemy. Pride is about me, but humility allows it to be all about Jesus. Pride wants me to look good, but humility wants God to be glorified. Pride hates it when other, people's do, other people do well, but humility celebrates the, and rejoices with those who rejoice. Pride will eventually separate us from a vital fellowship with Jesus Christ. But we are called to be humble. James chapter 4, verse 7, James speaks about this, this, this life that we're in. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And that shows us there's a third component, component about living out this sainthood. Be in Christ, be humble, but recognize you're powerful. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You have a new power. 
against Satan. Don't let Satan convince you that you don't. It's not like you used to be, where you're meant to do better and you're meant to do good, but you never could quite get there. It's not that you're perfect, but you have the Holy Spirit now. And with the Holy Spirit, you have a new ability to resist the devil. But you do it in humility because it's not our power, it's his power. And all of this is being a saint. That's our identity. That's who we are in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new identity that we have and for all the new implications of who we are in Jesus. And Lord, we recognize that it comes because you love us and you call us to love you back. So Lord, we rejoice in that love. Help us to live it out, to live the love of Jesus out loud before others around us. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.